This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so now uh, before we begin, let us do a, as we usually do, a quick recap on the 13 principles of faith, which we are currently in the process of, uh, of going through. So number one, Number one, we're going to do this very briefly and very quickly. Number one is, the first principle of faith is that God exists. Not only that God exists, God is the creator. And as a creator, God can create yesh me'ayin, something from nothing. That's the, the ability of God. And also, very importantly, God is a manig. Manig is someone that oversees. God oversees everything that happens in your life is overseen by God. Is looked, by, is, is, is looked at it meticulously. Everything is checked off and allowed by God. Number two, number two, the second principle of faith is that God is one. God is one, meaning that everything that happens, positive and negative, all stems from one source, and that is God. Number three is that God is is not physical and is not spiritual. God is not a physical being. And even more so, we cannot picture God as a physical being, because then it's a big problem when we picture God as a physical being. And we mentioned this in that class, but again, it's very important to emphasize that when you're praying, you should not be picturing, you know, a godly figure, or any figure for that matter. Number four is the God is Rishon Vuhuachroni. God is the beginning and is the end. God is someone who precedes something that precedes time. God is not bound to time, not bound to matter. So something that comes before time and after time. Number five is that the only the only possibility of praying to anything is only to God and nothing else. And we spoke about this in depth on prayer, which is very, very important. The the highest way of prayer is to self-nullify yourself, to lower yourself into to realizing that you're nothing, is that everything is comes from God. And this is the concept of bowing down, this is the concept of kobanot, which is just slaughtering and shakting. Uh, the, the idea is that God is is in charge of everything and God is everything. Number six is, we said that shakol divrei nevim emet, all the words of the prophets are true. Meaning this, the reason why this is so important is because God is, the, the way that we have the Torah is that God has to, to let us know what the Torah is. One way that, actually really the only way that God is able to do that is through communication. Communication between God and man. And that is at what we know as prophecy, as nevuah. So this is the foundation of the, of the Torah. That's going to be in my mind. And now, it's going to be in all your minds. It's going to be all your minds. Whoever doesn't know what I'm talking about, please come join us next week at 1601 Quentin Road at 8 p.m. every Thursday. Almost every Thursday. Many Thursdays. Come join us on many Thursdays on uh, 1601 uh, for uh, women only. Not people who identify themselves as women, but people who are biologically women. I have to say that nowadays. Even though I'll get in trouble, that I don't care. It probably will, and I'm actually holding myself back from getting into that. Just say one thing. Just one thing. Indulge me. You're born as a woman, you die as a woman. You're born as a man, you die as a man. You can you want to identify as a cat? You could say whatever you want, you know, and May God have mercy on your soul and help you and whatever in, you know endeavors that you want to indulge in. But you're still whatever gen- you cannot change gender. Gender does not get changed. Uh, that's not possible. Um, as many surgeries as you think you can go through, you're still what you are uh, born with. Um, I could go in a whole tangent on why that is, uh, but basically it all boils down to simple biology. So I've you know if you know your chromosomes, you're staying what you started off with, and that's how you're going to end. 
end the game. Um, then if you want to try again, you have to insert another quarter and beg God for another try. Maybe as something that you would more appreciate, uh, you know, to being. But again, that's between you and God. All right. How we got from Nevi'im to trans... I don't know. Okay, number seven. Number seven. By the way, you should know I'm getting a lot better in this because I used to just be there and just forget about the class. I would just be that. Now, you know, this is me doing my chuva. I know how to go back. I know how to... Chuva means return, right? So I know how to return. So I'm returning to the uh, topic at hand. So uh, just just by... You know what chuva means, right? Now we're going to go on there. Okay, so now, the seventh principle of faith. The seventh principle of faith is that it's regarding Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the father of all prophets, the ones that came before him and the ones that didn't come after him, meaning that Moshe Rabbeinu had a prophecy of a higher level than all other prophets. God spoke to Moshe mouth to mouth. That There is four criteria that Rabbah brings down that Moshe Rabbeinu was different than other prophets. Number one, he was awake and alert and oriented. You know, all prophets were alert and oriented, but Moshe Rabbeinu was awake when he was dealing with prophecy with God. Number two, Moshe Rabbeinu did not deal with metaphor. Everything through God was was direct and uh, was was direct communication. Number three, the strength didn't fail him. And number four, he received prophecy whatever he wanted. Okay, the eighth principle of faith is that the Torah that we have today is the same Torah that we had from Moshe Rabbeinu. Meaning that the same way we shake the lulav, put on the tefillin, every mitzvah that we have is the same exact that we have it from the from from God from Sinai that gave to Moshe Rabbeinu the you know and to the Jewish nation. Okay, that is the recap. Let's just let's begin the the topic at hand. The Bezat Hashem today, I would like to try to accomplish two principles, nine and ten, the ninth and tenth principle. Uh, we're going to start off with with a question and then we're going to answer it as we go along. The question is like this. Imagine God comes to you, and like you know it's God. It's not like you're on PCP, ACPA, acid, or whatever other you know initial that you're you know that they're selling out on the streets today. You know that this is God that's coming over to you, and God tells you, "Listen," He says, "I'm going to give you a six month exemption, meaning you could do whatever you want for six months. You're not going to get punished. You want to eat shrimp." Go ahead. You want to do this, you want to do that, whatever it is that you want. I don't know why people want to eat shrimp. It's the cockroach of the sea. But if anybody would want to eat a cockroach, you could go and you could do whatever you want. Uh, and you're not going to get punished for it. Would you take that deal? Do not answer yet. Okay, I was too late. Um, uh, so, so um, let, now we're going to go and we're going to go discuss and, and we're going to go in detail into, into this type of question. But we're going to go detail into it in the more of a subconscious type of level. The ninth principle. So now let's begin the ninth principle. The ninth principle is like this. I know with perfect faith, with perfect knowledge. That this Torah that we have today is never going to be changed. It's always going to be exactly the same Torah. There's not going to be another Torah. From God. There's nothing else that's going to... This Torah is going to be till the end of times. There's not going to be another Torah. Now, the you know this obviously goes if somebody... if, if the prophet comes, and obviously this is going to be a false prophet, and says, hey, there is a new Torah, there is something new that you have to do, there's a new law, you know right away that it's a false that it's a false prophet, because we know that this Torah is not going to be changed. This obviously has a very, very big problem with Christianity and Islam, and this is what the Rambam brings down, this is obviously opposing those, you know, the people that believe in Christianity, people that believe in Islam, because what do they do? They change the Torah, they change the Torah. Now, when you're, when you're dealing with a Christianity and Islam is sort of a, a knockoff version of Judaism, per se. 
make sure you heard that per se. Okay? <laughs> it's a it's a knockoff uh, type of version. Now, whenever you're dealing with a knockoff, it's never like the original. Like even imagine you're walking down the street, right? And someone comes up to you and says, you know, he's sitting over there with his foot on the wall and says, Psst. hey brother, you know, or hey sister, I don't know what they said to girls. Uh, you know, hey brother, he says, why don't you come over here in this alley? I gotta show you something. And you're like, yeah, all right, let's do it. You know, like, what you got? You know, like, and he takes out like a briefcase and he opens up and he's like, you want a Schmolex? You know, like, I got like, I got everything over here. And you're going over there and you're looking at these watches, let's say, or jewelry. Now, these are fakes. Obviously, fakes are different than the real. But let's say it's a really good fake. You know, they have levels of fakes. They have like levels. You know, you can get a, you know, you can get a like a Shoei Vuitton bag or you can get a Louis Vuitton bag. You know, like you could get like a real legitimate type of uh, type of fake. In, um, you know, something interesting. In America, I don't know nowadays, but back in the day when I used to uh, visit, um, you know, um, Gehenna, I mean, uh, Manhattan. So um, there was, uh, you know, they have, they have like the, they, they have, these these people um, that they would come out with like blankets, you know, like it looks like Santa Claus is coming, you know, that like, comes over there, walks down, unrolls, unravels his blanket, and says, "Hey, I got you know, like you know, I got like eggs boots, and I got like this, I know, like all knockoff style stuff." And they would be able to sell it, but it always had to be different because legally they wouldn't be able to do it. In Europe, at least in some places in Europe, I've seen that they have actual legitimate knockoffs, like. It's exactly spelled exactly the same way as the kosher one. Or the, I don't, not kosher, obviously, but I'm saying, you know, like the legitimate one. So Louis Vuitton will be spelled Louis Vuitton, and it's exactly, it's exact replica. Obviously, it's made of like fiberglass or whatever it is. It's not made of like snake leather. So you, unless you know what you're dealing with, like, if you go to me, I'm like, wow, you know, you have a Louis Vuitton bag for, is that sounds pronounced, right? Louis Vuitton? Okay, yeah, Louis Vuitton bag, or, or, you know, I've been learning these things, I'm, I'm working on myself. Um, Hermes, oh Chanel, right with the two C's. Um, so you see, like you know, those bags exactly as they were in the, you know, in the store. Um, and it's something very interesting over here. It's 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 not likely, to, you know, you don't see that over there, but over there you do you do see it. But whenever you're dealing with a knockoff, even if it's a legitimate knockoff, which means is what's a legitimate knockoff? Like a real knockoff. What's a real knockoff is where they run the factory after hours. So like they're using the same stuff and they're like, maybe they're changing one little thing or they're, they're throwing in one different, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, string, even one little thing in it. Think about electronics. You have a, um, you have an iPhone, right? And you take an iPhone. Let's say you have a Chinese knockoff version of the iPhone, but let's say it's exactly a replica. There's just like one thing different. Let's say one is one is uh, one is costing you. I would say four and five hundred. But I know now it's like you know ten million and eleven million. I don't know what the iPhones are going for now. It's over like a thousand dollars. It's ridiculous. But let's say you're going and you have an option of getting a fake not a knockoff, but everything is like real except for like one thing for two hundred dollars cheaper. So eight hundred dollars, or you have the real one for a hundred dollars. Which one would you take? Most people will take the real one. So it's worth it to pay that extra two hundred dollars to get the to, to get the real version, even if it's just you know the fact uh, you know of saying you know like whatever, just like peace of mind that you have a backing company or whatever it is, or maybe the other Apple has two bites taken out of it, whatever it is um, that you know the story, whatever it is, uh, you're more comfortable in paying a little bit more for the real version. And there's a reason for that because a knockoff version is is not only the, even if it works perfectly, first of all, it'll never work for perfectly. Why not? Because 
I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with cars, but if let's say you're driving a car and you go to the mechanic, you have the option of getting, you know, and you want to change something. You have an option of getting like a Chinese version or like the authentic, like, you know, factory thing. And that fact, the authentic factory, you know, option is a lot more expensive. Then you have an option for the Chinese one. But it depends what you want to spend and what you're going to get. But even if you get, let's say you get a really, really good knockoff one, it's never the same. Because in order for parts to work well, they have to be made for each other. They have to, if, uh, think about a relationship. If you're made for each other, you work well together. If you're not made for each other, you try really hard and you might be able to succeed at it, but it's not going to really fit. The puzzle doesn't really fit unless it's really made for each other. So when you're looking at a knockoff religion or, or a, you know, a religion that balances off something else, it's not a religion that's it's like no essence to it. It's not, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't feel right. There's something wrong with it. And when you look at, when you look at like things like Christianity, for example, <clears throat> when you have Christianity... The, you know, according to the Torah, the non-Jews have seven Noahide laws that they have to follow by. That's it. Seven Noahide laws that they have to follow up. Now, let's say you have another religion like Christianity that comes along and says, hey, listen, we have, you know, this religion and they go on and saying everything that they want to, you know, present and, and, uh, you know, explain to the, to, you know, to their followers of what they need to follow. Now, Maybe it wouldn't be so problematic, maybe, and I say maybe with a very, very heavy emphasis on the maybe, it wouldn't be so problematic if they removed, if they didn't remove, I'm sorry, any of the seven fundamental principles of the non-Jews. But let's say they start removing it. Then it makes it, it makes a very big problem. It says not now you're following a religion. Then not only is not true, but it's taking you away from the things that you're obligated to do. You look at a Christianity, out of the seven Noahide laws, I was able to find three out of the seven, which... That's a very significant number. Three out of the seven is a very, very large number, uh, percentage-wise, of, of what, when you go through Christianity, it's, uh, it's sort of nullified. Number, number one, Evel Menachai. So, as far as I know, um, Christianity doesn't have any, uh, you know, isul, prohibition, that you're not allowed to eat, a li- you're not allowed to eat uh, like a live animal. But you see many people nowadays, um, because of the, this, this crazy fad with, uh, um, restauranting and like eating out and like trying new things. Everyone's into trying new things because there's like seven billion restaurants just on Coney Island. Um, and then you're, you're, you're like always trying something new. So when you're trying something new, you're like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And until you go and do like, like a live octopus, if you're, I'm assuming you don't have any, any uh, borders. Um, and then, you know, you have, you have people that nowadays I've seen it that people eat live Animals. They eat it live animals. I've seen live octopus. I've seen baby mice being eaten live. So you have these things. These are Eva Minachai. This is forbidden also for a non-Jew. Number, uh, number three. You know, you now have false gods. What about, you know, all of a sudden you have over here non-Jews. They're praying to a man. They're, pray, they're praying to JC. So that's also, you have a, you, they're, they're following the prohibition of, of false gods. There's also another problem of immorality. Uh, you know, in the, Christian faith, at least in, in many uh, sects, they marry men to men. And according to halakha, they're not allowed to. Even non-Jews are not allowed to. So we see over here, three out of the seven, they're already nullifying it. So we hear, so they're taking another religion, which means is that you have to take more stuff on yourself, and not only do you not gain anything from it, but rather you lose out from the simple seven that you have to follow. Think about that. You think about the implications that that has. You have like a good Christian that does everything that they're supposed to do, and they're gonna get out there and be like, "Well, I'm sorry, you messed up this, this, and this." You like, I, I don't understand. I followed everything. You follow the wrong, wrong instructions. And we see the Torah says that, the, the, you know, with the Rambam says of the thirteen principles of faith, the Torah is never gonna change. Christianity and Islam also they change the Torah. Well, let's go through a few. Uh, let's go through four Christian uh, changes just to give a little taste of it. Even though we spoke about some of these ideas before, number one is the 
Torah says that how is God going to judge the people? Jews through the 613 mitzvot. That's how God is going to judge you. If you did a positive commandment, if you, fought, if you fell in a negative commandment, that's how you're going to get judged. Non-Jews, how are they going to get judged? Through the seven Noahide commandments. But all of a sudden, Christi- you know, Christianity comes and says, no, you know how God's going to judge you? In your faith in Jesus. Be like, what? Where does that say that in Torah? There's not a single verse. Not, not like even a hint to one verse. Not even a commentary hint to one verse that says, you know, you know, this, this idea. But yet they change the Torah to follow their, uh, you know, their concept. Not only they change the Torah, they also nullified all the 613 mitzvot. So don't worry about it. You don't have to take care of these. You just have to believe. If you believe, then everything will be okay. Nowhere, nowhere, and I say nowhere, again, nowhere, that it says that this is going to be an option that you have to believe. There's nowhere that it says that if you believe, you're okay, you're good. Find me one source that it says that it's okay. I don't know why, and maybe people do that, but when people have debates against Christian, this should be the first question that they ask. Just just find me one. Just one. You know what? Not even one. Just find me a half. A half a source. Yeah. Okay, so they implement some things on tshuva, which is very nice, which every single religion, almost, I'm saying every single religion does. But, uh, but, they, but they put a process, which is the core. The core of Christianity is you have to believe in JC. If you're, you cannot be a good Christian and not believe in JC. It doesn't work that way. You can't be like, I follow Christianity, because then you're just Jewish, or whatever it is. You know, like... <laughs> Well, there, well, there is some, there is some Christian sects that don't believe that he's in God. I mean, there's like thousands of Christian sects. We're not going to get into. We, we spoke, spoke about the majority of them. They do actually believe that he's God. So yeah, there's, there's different. He's son of God. God, we're all the son of God. I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, we could go on a rabbit hole on this. I mean, but uh, there's, there's no way out when you, when you're dealing with it. As much as you, as you want to try to answer, you know, for them, or you want to try to look for a possible answer for them. No, no, I know. And I'm telling you, like, I've looked not only in the New Testament, and then you know, and you should not. There's no, there's no reason why anybody should look at. It, but I have also looked at commentaries to the New Testament, and I haven't found anything. There's commentaries in the New Testament, you know, the the Chachamim, the Havdil Alf, the Alfei Avdalot, you know, of of you know, of the of the Christian sect. What are they? They, they still, they're not able to answer it, to my to my understanding, to my knowledge on it. Okay, that's one. Number one. Number two. There is no concept, again, no concept, not even one little half, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.005 of a concept in the Torah that Mashiach is going to die for our sins. There's nothing there that's going to die for our sins. Everybody is responsible for their own sins and they're responsible to repent for their own sins. If you're going to ask, well, what about righteous people that die and they, and they, uh, you know, sort of a kapara for the, for the nation? Even though that is true, you have righteous people that go and they pass away and that's a, that's a atonement for the nation, but that doesn't atone your own sin. That means that there was an impending judgment that was de- dealing with, and that gets revoked or pushed off, better yet, because of the situation. But you're still held responsible for every single one of your sins that you do, and every single one of the positive things that you do as well. Question? No question. Maybe a question. Okay. Number three. The Torah also teaches, there is only one God. Not one, not two, and not three. There is only one God, and we say it many, many times uh, a day. We say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokinu, Hashem Echad. That is a verse in the Torah. The, the idea that there is a three-part God, or a three-piece God, is irrelevant, you know, and, and 
illogical, to be honest, you know, you know, the concept of it. Even if you say, no, listen, they're really well one part. When you start trying to explain something that doesn't make sense, you look like a fool. You know, it's like you're running around your own tail. You know, like, but listen, it's not really, you know, they like go to somebody and say, what color is this? It's black. Like, no, really, you're colorblind. But really, it's dark blue. Dark, 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 dark blue. So black, right? You know, like, I mean, at least you're dealing with men. You know, like, men, there's very few colors in the spectrum. Um, uh, I know you go to, you know, you go to, like, Microsoft Paint or something. You have an option of, like, you know, every, every inch that you move is another color. You know, like... But there's, there's like seven colors that we know. Um, everything else is extra credit. But anyways, number three. That's number four. Number four is that Christianity teaches that the Torah was temporary. JC came, fulfilled all the laws. I don't know how he fulfilled it because he didn't keep the Torah himself. He like violated Shabbat. He violated many, many halachot in the Torah. But whatever it is, he fulfilled the, the halachot. And now it's, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to uh, take place anymore. There are many, 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 many verses. Uh, just to name a few. Devarim, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 46. Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 1. Genesis chapter 17 verse 9. Exodus chapter 31 verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 1. And Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 46. Which I said in the beginning, if you are following along. I don't know why I said it twice. Just for fun. It all states that the Torah is going to be everlasting. It's going to be forever. It's going to be le doré dorot. For, for all eternity. So how could Christianity, who believes in the Old Testament, how could Islam, which believes in a version of the Old Testament, claim and say that the Torah is, you know, that there's a new Torah? How can you say that? It says straight out that it's not like that. It says straight out that the Torah is going to stay forever. And this is one of the concepts, one of the fundamentals of faith, of Judaism, is that you realize that the Torah is going to stay here forever. This is also when you start realizing that once you start changing something, you're able, it's like a rabbit hole. You start, it's like a, um, Snow, what is that called? The snowball. snowball effect. That once you start changing one thing, you're going to change everything else. It's the the second that you have, you know, you have a border. Be like, you know, like I speak to people, and you know, like they're in their this like relationship, like you know, like you know, like okay, so I'm speaking to a boy, I'm speaking to a guy, and uh, obviously switches genders, and and but I'll never ever do this. Six months later, okay, I never go, I never go ever do this. And then six months later, I'll never ever do this. And then before you know it, <clears throat> they got a baby mama, you know, situation going on. And, you know, the rest is, uh, the rest is history. Once, once you start pushing something off, it's only a matter of time before you push everything off. And that's what you have. Churches, and also this reform movement also falls in this category, uh, is that they marry men to men. The Torah says very, very simply straight out, you're not allowed to marry. You know, forget about marry. You're not allowed to be, you know, with a man and a man is not allowed to be together. But at the same point in time, well, they say all of a sudden it's okay. How do you say something is okay? Because once you change something, there's no problem of changing it. Now, the Midrash says something very interesting. So the Midrash says, before God gave the Jews a Torah, God goes over to every other nation. And he says, hey, do you want the Torah? So what did the other nations say? Hey, so what's inside it? Like, tell me what's inside it. By the way, the second that they ask that question, they already fail the test. Like, if, if your spouse comes over to you and says, hey, I want to give you a present. And you say, well, it depends. What is inside of it? <laughs> so right away you know, if you answer that, you need therapy. Yeah, so like, I would recommend you somebody. Like, you have to go speak to somebody. If the second that you start asking questions, be like, well, what's inside of it? 
then it's a big problem. Your, your spouse comes over to you with, you know, one of those silver trays with a you know, silver cover on top of it. I've never seen it. It's always on cartoons, right? But, like, I don't know where they offer these things. Maybe in, like, ancient, you know, England and be like, you know, like, Nigel, you know, please bring me dinner. You know, and they bring him, like, you know, roasted duck, you know, and he picks it out of here and be like, you know, you know, here's your go, here's your meal, you know. And they have that white towel going on there. They got the white gloves, you know, situation going on there. And they just stand there like this. You know, for like two hours. Um, they were trained by the British Guard, obviously. So, um, but in any case, I digress again. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. Your spouse comes inside of you, goes like it. But let's say you love them, actually, right? So, like, you go inside, right? And they come in and say, listen, this is an amazing dish I have. I want to blindfold you, and you eat it, and you tell me what it is. And you're going to start asking, well, listen, you know, like, I'm kind of allergic to, like, listen, I'm your spouse. I know what you're allergic to. Don't worry about it. But what's inside of it? But the more questions that you ask, the more you realize that your relationship is, is a little bit messed up. And by a little, I mean a lot. And by a lot, I mean you need therapy, uh, you know, type of situation. So, like, you, when the second that the, the God goes over to the, the non-Jewish nations, all the nations, say, hey, you want my talk? What's inside of it? What does God answer? He says, oh, you're not allowed to murder anybody. Oh, I'm sorry, not for us. Like, murder is, like, top of the list, man. Like, we gotta do that. Like, who murders people? Like, who in their agenda, besides Islam, right? Uh, Who in their agenda, besides a sect of Islam? Um, Okay, you had a different question? I thought I was going to answer you. Okay, okay. Um, You said that, like, all the nations didn't accept the Torah. Like, the question that they asked shouldn't have even been a question, but why? What connection do they have to the God that they should have trusted the thing that they were being given? Why should they trust like God? The example you gave us as a spouse. Of course, if it was my spouse, but if it was a random stranger, I'm going to question what's in there. So it depends on your relationship with that's your creator. What did they have the, with the creator? Now, atheism, you should know, atheism is a very new thing. I mean, it's not a, like a new, new thing, but like the popularity of it. They knew it was God. They knew it was God, yeah. The Torah. The Torah. So now. When God goes over, God asked them things that they were required to do by the seven high laws. You realize what he asked them. He asked them murder. He asked them, you know, you know, adultery, which is immorality. And he also asked them against stealing. You're not allowed to steal. You're not allowed to do that. I'm like, no, no, we can't. Like, you gotta do this anyways. It's part of the seven high laws. You're your great, 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 great ancestor. Everybody's great, great, great ancestor. Noah. Right? He brought that. There's, there are laws, requirements. There are seven laws that you have to keep. Stealing is one of them, murder is one of them, and immorality, adultery is also one of them. So how can they say, like, when God asked them the question, say, like, well, what's inside of it? Like, murder. I'm like, no, 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 thank you. But, like, you have to do it anyways. You ever ask this question? Like, what type of, like, how is it that they said no to something that they have to do already? Like, imagine someone offers you something, and you're like, okay, what do I have to pay for it? It's included in your taxes. So Jews, we know, we say, okay, well, like, it's included, right? Just, just, you know, like, obviously, we'll take two. You know, like, well, you know, we'll, we'll take whatever is needed. You know, but, but, you know, like, if you think about it, you had to do this thing already. This should be a question in everybody's mind. Like, why, how, and when did the, the, the nations have the ability to say, no, we don't want to do it? And the answer is, is that in, in civilized countries, you have this concept that they know, like, listen, you don't murder other people. Why? Because if I don't murder you, you're not allowed to murder me. It's a very, very good time. If I can't steal from you, it's a very safe type of environment. You don't want to murder anybody else. You don't want to steal from anybody else because then it's going to affect you. It's going to come to your effect. So people want this, you know, they, they want these laws and regulation into effect. 
But when do they want these laws and regulation into effect? When they're in charge. So when I'm in charge, then I want it. What's the difference? The difference is that if you're telling me that a supreme being is coming and telling me that, that he's in charge and he's telling me what to do, then that means I can never nullify these things. But I want to have, people like the idea of freedom. Like, okay, I know I'm not allowed to murder. But let's say the baby is still inside the womb. And by the way, this is a sensitive topic now because this has recently came, uh, you know, as a past law. You know, let's say the baby is in the ninth month, which means it's fully formed. It's a fully functional baby that if it will be born right now, it would be able to live and be able to succeed as a live being. Yet, according to the law which was passed, you're allowed to have an abortion. You're allowed to have a, uh, you know, legally allowed to have an abortion, which... What? And nine months? Yeah, you know, you're allowed to have an, an abortion. Uh, and, and right now, right now it's a. Uh, is, is that under um, normal circumstances, or only like they're making a decision between the mother's life and the baby? No, no, no. That's under normal circumstances. Yes. Yeah. From my understanding, you can have a normal. Uh, there's no such thing as normal abortion, but if you can have a normal abortion, if we could say that. <coughs> so what? Why is that not murder? Which means is. Right after this came out, a lot of these, like, like, uh, um, you know, things came out, uh, pictures with words on them, right? They came out and they said, like, oh, you know, like, the baby was born, but five minutes earlier, it was legally allowed to murder this baby. Five minutes later, murder. But five minutes earlier, well, it's okay. Halakhically, it's, uh, you know, not halakhically, obviously, but like, legally, it's kosher to do that. Halakhically, it's never kosher to do that. But I'm saying, like, legally, you're allowed to do that. So you have all of a sudden, like, why do people want to do, but what about, you, you know, the, the concept of, let's say someone's sick and someone's dying, or you let it go on as a doctor, you let it go on and, and offer them euthanasia, you let it go on and offer them to, to, you know, kill them early so they don't suffer through the pain. Halakhically, it's a very, very big problem. You can't do that. But legally, you're allowed, you know, maybe, you know, it's going to come to a point in time that you're going to allow to do it. So the way that they want to, the reasons why the nations of the world didn't want to go and say, hey, listen, yeah, okay, fine, whatever we, whatever God says we're going to do, because even though that God said you have to keep the seven Ochad laws, that wasn't an option for them. They had to keep the seven Ochad laws. Now it's an option for them. Oh, now you want us to keep it? No, we don't want to, we don't want to keep it. But you have to keep it anyways. But even the ones that we want to, we don't really want to keep it. It shows that they don't even want to keep what they want, what they were required to keep. And this is why you have the concept that once you change one thing, you can change everything else. They want to have the ability, even though every normal person in society would want to have a law saying you're not allowed to murder anybody else. But they want it to be on my terms. Because when it's on my terms, then I can decide when it's okay, when it's not okay. I want the freedom to decide. People like the freedom to decide. This is why people have a very big problem with marriage. It's a commitment issues. People, I always used to think it's, it's men that have commitment issues. Now I've begun to learn that it's not only men, it's also women have commitment issues. But what if I'll find someone better? Already I know you're not going to. Because if you're speaking like that, like what makes you so self, you know, like you have such a high self, you know, ego that makes you think you deserve better? What makes you think you deserve better? No, I deserve the best. You'd be like, your mother told you, but I tell you differently. You know, that's what made people stop coming to me. But I'm saying, <laughs> the concept is, is that once you start changing one thing, you're start, it's going to start a domino effect. And this is why the Torah, the, 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 what, what it says in the Torah, that you're not allowed to go and you're not allowed to change anything in the, you're not allowed to change anything in the Torah. Uh, question, yes. Where is support in Torah that God actually went to other nations and opened them? In the Sifri, it speaks about it. In the Midrash. It's a Midrash in Sifri that speaks about it. Yeah. Okay. Now, now we can begin getting to, into the topic at hand, uh, which is, if God comes over to you and says, hey, listen, you go like, Psst. you know, like a really, Psst. 
I really, uh, you know, those people in shuls that shushes, which is louder than the people that actually speak, which is more annoying than the people actually. People are speaking and no one hears them. All of a sudden you have one person that has a tsunami coming out. <laughs> you know, and the whole shul hears that situation like that. Imagine that situation. And the, like, the, the cloud, yeah. So imagine, so, you know, like you're up and like God calls you over and says, hey, listen, he says, here's a free pass. You can do whatever you want for six months, a year, whatever it is. A maximum a year I'm giving for this class, right? For this hypothetical situation, right? Um, a year, because after that you get used to it. And so you, you, got, you got like, a, 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 let's say six months. Six months, free pass, do whatever you want. Are you going to take it? So Rabbi Moshe Goldstein brings down this, this type of, of uh, you know, situation. And I want to share with you a few things that he mentions. The, you know, many people will say like, yeah. You know, like, that sounds good. I could eat a double cheeseburger or a triple cheeseburger. I don't know where they're up to now. You know, like a quadruple cheeseburger. I, maybe they don't have it. Anymore. But, but I'm like saying a cheeseburger squared. Like, they have, you know, like, I could, eat, I could eat everything that I want. I could dress whatever I want. I could be whoever I want to be. Like, you could put yourself in that situation. Now, God comes and gives you that offer. Three months, six months, whatever it is, do whatever you want. Now, imagine you have an also another offer. Six months... You take a pill, you never have to eat again. Not only you don't have to eat, that if you eat again, it's going to make you very naughty. You, know, you can't eat. The pill is going to give you every nutrient that you need. Would anybody take that deal? The pill. Pill, no. What about the Torah deal? Torah deal also. Okay, we're sitting with a bunch of righteous people. I've asked this to a few men. Um, we're like... Oh, very good. So you're a righteous person. <laughs> so it's okay, so again, so that's a different right. <laughs> Which is true. What? Oh, there you go. Yeah, think, you know. I feel like a, what is that called when you have those talk show hosts? You know, sitting over there and be like, yes, you know. <laughs> what if, you know how they incite people? Here's your daddy. What? You know, like, you know, like, uh, you know, situation that's going on here. Like, um, <laughs> and they're just like watching like, yes, please murder somebody. It'll be great for ratings. But um, the concept is, the, the concept is like this. The concept is, is that. Many people that I've spoken to, I've actually asked this question to many people. Judaism, would you take a six-month sabbatical? Bad terminology, but stay with me. Six-month sabbatical from Judaism. It means you can do whatever you want. Or, and, but what you also have to do is you have to take a six-month you know, sabbatical from, from eating. But you'll get everything that you need. Everything, every nutrition that you need, you're going to take one pill, smells like hay, but you'll be able to take it down with water, and that's it. Um, and you're, you, that's all you have. Some many people wouldn't. I would also, but many people wouldn't. Many people wouldn't. What? what? No losing weight. Okay, no losing weight. Why? Because I'm speaking to a woman. I need to uh, say anyway. Uh, if I would say I speak to a woman, they don't have to hear about idea losing weight. I'll do it. You know, like, for at least one time, and then we'll see. But uh, you know, the, the concept like this. The concept is is that the people that I've asked, I said for the Torah. Yeah, let's do it. Many people, not the righteous people. Many people would say that. Uh, you know, the pill, they're like, no. Like, what? You know, one person asked me, he's like, but what happens if, let's say, I smell like a really good steak? Can I eat it? I'd be like, no, you can't eat it. And for a second, I'd be like, you know what? I'm not going to take the deal. 
I'm not going to take the deal. They're like, if I'm not able to eat, like, like I'm not going to be able, I can't do it. What's the difference over here? The food, you see food as a privilege. They're like, oh, you know, like I can eat food. That's a privilege. You see Torah as an obligation. Like, oh, what am I going to, imagine this question is asked to Chamavaya Yosef. Not about the food thing. Obviously we know what he's going to answer that. Imagine the Torah question is asked that. Like, would you want, if God comes over to you and says, hey, listen, you don't have to keep the Torah for six months. Would you do it? Be like, what are you kidding me? He says, I would never take that deal. Ramosha, any Gadol Adol would go and say, absolutely not, I would never take that deal. But yet you ask many people that are not Gadol Adol, and you ask them, hey, listen, would you take this deal? Instantly. I always wanted to know how, like, you know, seafood tasted. I always wanted to know how this, I always wanted to know how it is to walk outside in pants, you know, assuming that you're not a man, because I hope that you're a man, you're walking around with pants. <laughs> so, you know, you're going and you're asking these type of questions, you're saying, of course, because why? You see Torah not as a privilege, you see Torah as an obligation. Really, this question shouldn't even begin to come into your mind. But why does it come to your mind? Because you t- see Torah, as, it's, it's an obligation. Christianity said, you know what, Torah is an obligation. Let's make it into a privilege. All you got to do is believe. Islam, all of a sudden, you don't, you don't have to do anything over here. They change the Torah. Once you start changing the Torah, there is no, mess, there's no essence in the actual, in the actual Torah. The, imagine you go to somebody, he's sitting at a, at, a, at a wedding, and he's eating, you know, he's eating challah with tchina hummus, and he's sitting there, and you present him like, you know, it's a very, very fancy wedding, and you present to him like this, like amazing steak. I don't know what's the most expensive steak. I actually... To be honest, you know, like what I really meant to do is, is I meant to search online to see what's the most expensive type of steak and then say that type of steak. So assuming that I said that, you know, the most expensive type of, you know, tenderloin, you know, standing up steak, whatever it is. I don't know. Right? What is it? A golden steak? Real gold? Wait, people can... Reiku beef? Either Reiku or Oh, Okay, so su- assume that you're eating gold, which is, I, I, I don't know if you're low on iron or whatever, you're low on gold, I, I don't know what's, <laughs> you know, like the situation that warrants gold, I, I can't imagine that's being healthy. Is that really thing they melt gold? Okay. So, so imagine you eat, imagine you eat this steak. <laughs> it's a natural mil- uh, mineral, so it shouldn't be a problem. It's like salt. So um, the unless it's additive, I, I, you know, I don't know. What, I never. It's the first time I've heard. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's the first time I've heard any of it. Ask OU. Call up OU and say it's gold uh, kosher, and, and then they'll send you a donation slip. You know, like please, if you want to eat dough, gold, and like the most expensive steak. The most expensive came Japanese Wagyu ribeye, whatever comes after the dot, dot, dot. The, well, so imagine, imagine this guy is eating hummus, right? But like, not the hummus with the flavor, plain. Like old-fashioned style hummus. Like not with like the roasted pine nuts and like grinded gold inside the hummus, right? Like it's like plain non-diamond-free hummus, right? They're going and they're eating the hummus. And then someone comes to them with this, with this Japanese Wagyu whatever, you know, steak worth at like blah, blah, blah dollars. And um, they say, hey, listen, try this steak. And they're going to be like, oh, I'm like, I need a knife, I need a steak knife, I need a fork, I need to cut it. It's like, 
Just like leave me, please leave me with my like. I got this going on over here. It's very simple. The bread is just like melt. It's just like simple. Like what would you call that guy? Crazy, <laughs> insane. Maybe a few other like white lab coats type of a situation. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? Someone's offering you this wagyu steak. For all I know, this could be a raw steak. I don't know what I'm saying, but like, what well, is like crazy and crazy expensive steak? It's like offering you, and you're gonna say like, no, I'm gonna do this because I gotta do this like work in it. Like in essence, that's what, what what we're saying. Like you know, God is offering us. God is telling us, hey, listen, I have something that is matok mi divash. It's something that's more sweeter than honey. It's the toa. And be like, well, well, listen, if can I can I get a, a free pass? Like can I get a you know like a sabbatical? Like it's like possible? Like imagine someone comes to you with a steak and be like, you know, like can I eat this like in a half hour? Like can we push this off for a little bit? Do I have to really work right now? But like if you're smart. An American, yeah, like obviously, you know, like everything else, then no. But like you, when you think about the concept, we look at the Torah as like, oh, it's difficult work. God comes and gives us the Torah. Now, God is the creator of the world, creator of everything, creator of the Torah. He says, I listen, I have something that is sweeter than honey, and I want to give it to you. And someone comes and says, well, like, well what's inside? Next, please. Like the second that you say that, you're already done. You're already over with. But the, I, the, the concept is that if God comes to you as a Jew, who is an observant Jew. And God comes in and says, hey, listen, do you want to keep the Torah? I give you six months, I, you know, I this. Imagine someone comes up to you and says, hey, listen, I give you a six-month patch that you don't have to eat steak, and you love steak. Now, I mean, like, like you have a disease against steak. Like, you love steak. Like, you have a problem. Like, you have to go to therapy type of situation, right? We're speaking about therapy. Like, you love steak that much. If God comes up and says, hey, listen, uh, you, I'm going to offer you an option. You're not, you don't have to eat steak for six months. Like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? I love steak. I want steak. Why wouldn't I want to keep it? You go to the Gedolei Ador. You go to Chamevay Yosef. You go to any Gedolei Ador. You go to any righteous person. We don't have to go speak about Gedolei Ador. And you go and you ask me, you want to keep the Torah? God is offering you a six months pass that you don't have to do whatever you want. But like, are you kidding me? I love it. It all depends on your perception of it. Do you see Torah as something, as an obligation, or something as a privilege? If you see something as an obligation, guess what? That's why reform came into the, into the movement. That's why conservative movement came. Reconstructionism. That's why Christianity. That's why you have Islam. You have all these other options that came into play. Because Torah is not a privilege. Torah is an obligation. So it all depends on where you're falling to. The, the real concept is that if you know Torah, if you know the real, the real Torah... You're never going to want to change it. You're never going to want to change it. Why? Because it's matok mitvash. It's sweeter than honey. When we go and we learn Torah, you look at the Torah, and it says Rav Moshe Goldstein, and he says like this. It says, you know, like you read the Torah, and it says over here, and Afimelech said, and then it goes on and says what this, what this, uh, what this plishti king said. Like, why do we care? What, and you read about the, the about the, 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 you know, the, the sheep of, of like Yaakov's, if it had spots or if it didn't have spots. I, you think about it, I think if you're opening up a divine book, you want to see like those like single quotes. It would be like, you know, like one step forward is one step closer to your goal. <laughs> oh, amazing. Like I never understood these, these uh, you know, like you have like these words of wisdom. And they always sign their name on the bottom. You know, like, you know, Dr. J, you know, like whatever. You know, like, <laughs> it really is. It's like, it's like my mind. If you take one step forward, that's one step past where you were before. <sighs> This guy's a genius. Give him a Nobel Peace Prize. Apparently we're giving it out to everybody now. So like you have these concepts where we're thinking, we're looking at the Torah, and we're thinking, okay, we want these like one-liners, you know? Like in order to take one step forward in your journey, you have to fill up your tank with gas. <laughs> Be like, that is very true. 
unless you have a hybrid, <laughs> you know, like, or you're not taking a car, you know, like you have all these things, like you expect when you open the Torah, you want to see, but then you have these things, you open the Torah and it says, what does Plishti King was saying? What Yaakov's sheeps were doing, you're thinking like, this is the Torah, this is the divine document that we're dealing with, and the answer is yes, it's not the deficiency of the divine document, it's a deficiency in you. You know, there was one kid who had a very, very hard time with mathematics. So, the mother hired him a tutor. And the tutor went, You know the story already? Okay, so. Um, so. There is, you could put an apple into it. I was going to say tomatoes, but let's use apples now. You have a kid, right? Has a very hard problem with math. And the, the tutor comes over there and says, Okay, little Johnny, you take two and you add two. What do you get? And Johnny's like, uh, I don't know. Like, okay, okay, listen. You have two, and you show two fingers. And you have two. And you put them together. What do you get? And Johnny says, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't take my medication. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know. Two plus, I don't know. I said, okay, so fine. You go to, the, you know, after like an hour long, they take out, let's use apples, right? They take out four red shiny apples, the teacher. And says, hey, Johnny, I take two apples, and then I add another two apples. How many apples do I have? And Johnny looks and says, uh, one, two, three, four. You have four apples. And, you know, everyone's like, you know, everybody, you know, the tutor is like, that's unbelievable. Very, very good. Let's do that one more time to make sure you understand it. Takes two apples off. Says, Johnny, I have two apples. And then I put another two apples. How many apples do I have? And Johnny says, very proudly, four and he says, you're a genius. And he's like, I know. You know, like, and, and the session ends. And he comes home, and the mother just spent a ton of money on this tutor, and he goes over to the, to the Johnny and says, Johnny, what did you learn today? He says, I learned how to add. And Johnny said, really, you learned how to add? And, the, and, and Johnny says, yeah, I learned how to add. And the mother says, okay. She looks at, she has like, you know, she has a few oranges. She takes an orange, she says, she takes two oranges, puts it on the table. And he says, Johnny, I have two oranges. And then I'm adding another two oranges. How many oranges do I have? And Johnny looks and says, I'm sorry, Ma, we only learned apples today. We didn't get up to oranges yet. <laughs> so when somebody goes and somebody learns the Torah, you have the ability of learning the Torah and understanding the concept. But you're on the same level as Johnny learning with the apples. In order to understand the true concept, Johnny didn't learn math. He learned what two apples plus two apples equals. That's all he learned. He didn't learn anything about math. But if you want to learn about math and you're able to apply it to every single day of your life, if you want to know if you really truly know the Torah, you'll know how to apply it to every day of your life. If you don't, that means you misuse and misinterpreted, mislearned the Torah. In order to properly learn the Torah, it's not enough just to read it. You have to actually go and understand it. And then this, you know, this, this Rosh Hashiva, Moshe Goldstein once went over to one of the students and he said, he took out a wad of hundreds. And he said, listen, he says, if you for sure never learned one pasuk in the Torah with the, with the simple meaning of it. And the guy, and the kid said, you know, for sure, I've been learning for like, in Yeshiva for like four years after high school. You know, that's like, like super, like, that's like advanced, like, a, that's like already working on your masters, per se. Right? You're like, I've been learning, of course I've learned the Torah. So, he said, so, so the rabbi said, listen, these wad of hundreds is yours. Pick one pasuk in the entire Torah, and I'll prove it to you that you didn't learn the simple meaning of it. So the student was thinking, he says, you know what? He says, okay. He says, you got a deal. He says he took something, he took a very simple pasuk. He says, and he used a pasuk over there. And he used this pasuk, and he says, Vaidaber Hashem el Moshe A pasuk that says many times the Torah. And God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, 
I know the simple meaning of this pasuk. The rabbi said, really? You know the simple meaning of this pasuk? So the rabbi said, you know, when the Torah says, Vaidabel, it means it's a harsh, it's a harsh word. It's something that's talking harsh. As opposed to Vayomel, which also means any spoke. But it's a soft word. What in this pasuk is referring to harsh versus the soft? And the guy's like, um, so I, I know the art school translation of it. So let me ask you another question. It says, when it says God's name, it says Yudke Vavke. Why does it say Yudke Vavke, not the word Elohim? Why is it used that word of God and that word of God? The kid says, okay, fine. Okay, I, I, you know, like, obviously I have more that I have to focus on. I don't, you know, I obviously don't. Oh, I'm not going to Okay. So, uh, so, uh, okay, so now you see, you know, the kid says, obviously I didn't learn it. Many times we go and we think we know Torah. We know Judaism. Yeah, of course we know. We're religious people. Of course we've been following the Torah and be like, are you? Really, are you? You have to think about it for a second. Are you, do you know anything? And that's a very, very serious, you know, uh, um, question that you ask yourself. Do I know anything? Like when you start thinking about something, you open up a chumash and be like, do I really know anything? The more that you know, the more you say you don't know. The less that you know, the more you say that you do know. If you don't think about, if you don't understand what I said, just rewind it because I'm not going to say that again. But the idea over here is when you're going to the Torah and you want to try to learn the Torah, you have to connect the Torah. In order to connect it, you have to be pure. You can't just learn it as a concept. You can't just learn it as an intellectual, you know, stimulation. Oh, it's interesting. It's, you know, entertaining. People come to Torah classes because it's entertaining. Like, that's not why you're coming to learn the Torah. Yeah, please. It's not why you're coming to learn the Torah. You're coming to learn the Torah because that's the Torah. That's you have the obligations that you have to do. You know, there was once a, uh, an African tribe leader that was invited to a big city. And uh, the mayor of the big city was going, showing him around, thanking him for coming out of his, you know, you know primitive, you know, situation, going to the big city. And after the whole trip, the, you know, this, this uh, mayor goes over to this tribe leader and says, listen, he says, um, you know, I appreciate you coming out. I know it was difficult, the whole travel, the whole, everything that was difficult. He says, listen, he says, as an appreciation for my, uh, you know, as, as a token of appreciation, I want you, whatever you want, I want to grant you that wish. So the, you know, the tribe leader thinks for a second and he says, okay, I know what I want. And he points him over and he goes to the bathroom and he points to the sink and he says, Give me that. He points to the faucet. He says, you want the faucet? He's like, yeah, I want the faucet. And he's like, are, are you sure? Like, I'll give you anything else that you want. He says, I know what game you're playing. Give me the faucet. I want the faucet. He says, do you want this faucet? Home Depot? He's like, I want this faucet. He says, not a problem. He calls the maintenance guy. The maintenance guy unscrews the faucet, takes the faucet, gives it to this Indian chief. This Indian chief wraps it in the sack cloth, throws it on his stick, and he starts marching his way back to Neverland. And now he's walking, to, you know, he's walking back to his, you know, his tribe. And when he gets back home, he calls everybody over. He says, you guys are not going to believe what I just have, what I received. And he goes, everyone's gathering around. He sets up, you know, the, this faucet. He puts it on the table. And he says, watch. And he turns the faucet. And he says, watch how something is going to come out of it. And he turns the faucet, and nothing comes out of it. <laughs> And then he turns the other faucet, and nothing comes out of it. And then he tries back and forth. He tries a different location. Nothing is coming out of it. He's so upset. He's so angry. He says, he, you know, everyone goes and tells him, says, this is what you brought back to us? Nothing? He says, you don't understand. He says, water comes out of this. This is going to solve all our problems. Water's gonna, something's wrong with this. He goes, he takes it up, and he travels it back to the mayor. And he says, I don't understand. He says, when I turned this on over here, water came out of it. When I turned it on in my, in my, in my village, nothing came out of it. The mayor said, are you kidding me? 
He says, uh, you know, like, did you pass the pipe? Like, what's going on over here? Like, what, you know, like, of course water, in order for water to come out, it's got to be attached to the pipe where water comes from it. In order to get water, it has to be attached to the source. If you want under, to understand the Torah, you got to be attached to the source. You're going to read the Torah like a, like a, like a science book. You're not going to understand it. You're going to make radical errors to the Torah. And that's how people do. You have people that are either going and looking at the Torah because they don't believe in God. Or you have people looking into Torah because they believe in Jesus or believe in anything other, other, you know, fake religion. And they believe it. They go into Torah. Of course they're going to have radical letters. You're not connecting to the source. You're not going to be able to be able to connect to God, to be able to understand Torah. You want to understand Torah? You have to connect to the source. How do you connect to the source? You have to fix yourself. You have to be a good, you have to come in as a kosher person. You have to come in with a right mindset. Otherwise you're going to make tremendous amounts of errors in the, in the Torah. The, the Gemara in Ida. Let's give a little introduction to this. Now, we just mentioned, they've said that the Torah is never going to change. Meaning the Torah is never, ever, ever, ever going to change. Then we have a question. What about there's some Gemara, there's some Midrashim, there's some Chazal that tell us, hey listen, in the future, the commandments are not going to be anymore. Then in the future, the, you know, the, the Nevi'im et Tuvim are not going to be anymore. Oh, what are you going to say about that? The holidays in the future are not going to be anymore. Oh, but wait a minute. I thought you just said, and by me, I mean me, and by you, I mean me, I mean, um, is that what? That the Torah is never going to change. How can we say the Chazal? So let's try to explain that concept. There's a Gemara Nida. If you don't understand what I said, then uh, welcome to the club. But the Gemara Nida, you'll be able to understand it very shortly. The Gemara Nida, page 61b goes and says like this. And says, the Gemara speaks about Klaim. Klaim is, is one of the forbidden mixtures. Let's use an example of shotness. Shotness is something that you're not allowed to wear. So if you have an article of clothing that has shotness, you're not allowed to wear it until it has, until it's removed. So the Gemara goes and speaks about it, this shotness. You cannot sell it to a non-Jew. You're not allowed to even sell it to a non-Jew. You're not allowed to even use it as a saddle for your donkey. But this Klaim, this shotness can be used for burial shrouds for a dead person. Says the Gemara, it says that we learn from this that the mitzvot in the future are going to be nullified. Because we see over here that, oh, you see, the dead person can wear the, the, something that is shotness. Okay, well, before we get into, before we get into any other uh, concept, we'll understand it uh, the way, right now we're focusing in the future, not in the present, on how to get around certain, you know, obligations or, um, or, you know, or things that you're not allowed to do. But, Says the Rashba. Says, how do you understand this? Says, when you say la asid la vo, la asid la vo, you think means the future. But if you don't know proper grammatical Hebrew, which means Hebrew, la shana kodesh terminology, you say la asid la vo, maybe it can mean in the future. Well, what's the future? The future can be the imminent future or the very far future. What's la asid la vo is referring to over here in the Gemara? Says the Rashba, what is it referring to? When the dead person is dead, he is allowed to wear, you heard that? He is allowed to wear, you know, Klaim. He is allowed to wear these, these burial shrouds that are in, that are, that, that are, that have shot this. Meaning, the question is like this. When a person dies, is he still obligated in the mitzvot? Which means, if a person is buried, does he have to be buried in something that is kosher? Or does he, could he be buried in anything, something that's not kosher to be buried in? And the answer is, he can be buried in whatever it was. Because right now he's patum in a mitzvot. But what about when he comes back in resurrection? He comes back alive. What about then? I says, oh no, then, then he's gonna be obligated in Mitzvah. Then he can't wear the client. Then he can't wear the shotness. Says the Rashba, goes and explains this, Mara says, what does it mean, Lasi Lavo? Lasi Lavo means in the future. What does it mean in the future? The imminent future. The future right now. 
meaning that he's dead. Right now he's dead, he can wear it. But when he gets up again, that means that he has to go and he has to go and he has to wear uh, uh, something that is that is allowed to wear, not something that is not allowed to wear. And you see this also in the Stei and there's also as the Rambam, that all agree that the mitzvot are never going to be annulled. The mitzvot that we have today, the 630 commandments, are always going to be the 630 commandments. The Ritva goes and, and takes us a step further and says that in the future... The commandments are going to be, uh, they're not going to be obligated, they're going to be voluntary. They're going to be like the way that the Avot did the, the obliga- the, these commandments. Now what does it mean when the, the obligation is going to be turned into, from obligation to, to voluntary? Now in order to have somebody who is a, uh, you know, in order to be, to be obligated in the commandment, there has to be two distinct entities. You have to be some, you have to have somebody who is an authoritative entity that says, hey listen, you have to do this. And you have to have the subject who says, okay, I need to do this. But what we all know that God is everything. Now, historically speaking, you know, through the you know through the you know generations of time, the people and God, we see it as two distinct entities. There's the people and there's God. But what's going to happen in the future? In the future, God is going to be so prevalent. Everybody's going to know what God is that it's not going to be a question anymore. Like God and the people, everybody's going to know that God is one and His name is one. Everybody's going to know that everything is God. So there's not going to be any more an essence of, in order to have someone who commands you, there has to be two distinct entities. But in the future, it's going to be so clear, so obvious, that there's not two distinct entities. Everything is God. When you realize that everything is God, then all of a sudden the commandments are not called commandments anymore. So, you know, hence, this is what the, you know, this is how the, the, the Rashba goes and explains. And he says, this is what it means, that it's not going to be a commandment, it's going to be voluntary, because we're not going to see it as a commandment. The Ritva, I'm sorry, not the Rashba. The Ritva says that this is going to be a commandment, not as a, uh, not as an, a, you know, something that is going to be from a commandment type of a, uh, uh, standpoint. So now, let's go on to the next step. There is a Gemara in Talmud Yerushalmi, in Megillah, that says, Rabbi Yochanan says, that in the future, the prophets, the, the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, the prophets and the writings in the future will be annulled, but the five books of Moshe Rabbeinu will never be annulled. So as the writer goes and explains it and says, what does that mean? He says, it doesn't mean that it's going to be canceled. You understand what, what I just said? That it's going to be, so the writer says, it's not going to be canceled. What does it mean? It says that it means that the, the five books of Moses will always be read in public, but the Tanakh, the, the rest, the Nach, the Nevi'im and Ketuvim will never, will, will not be read in public during the times of Mashiach. Well, we'll try to explain this in a little bit. But in order to understand this, um, the, the Riva goes and says, there's one exception. Anybody know what the exception is? Migilat Estel. Migilat Estel, even in the time Mashiach comes, it's also going to be read publicly. What is the difference between Migilat Estel than any other of the, of the Tanakh, uh, of the Nach books that is going to be read in the time of the Mashiach? And the answer is, is that when you look through the stories of, of, you know, of the, of the other, uh, of the other, you know, Nevi'im Uktuvim that speaks about the miracles that happen. So what does it speak about? It speaks about the miracles that happen that God manipulated na- nature. You look at the Exodus. God manipulated nature. You look at Matan Torah. God manipulated nature. You look at many other things. Sukkot. God manipulated nature. What is the story of Purim? The story of Purim, which we're coming up on, the story of Purim is something that God didn't manipulate nature. God used nature within it. Which means is that if you go and you say, hey listen, God is all powerful, all able to do anything, and look, you see the Exodus, you see Matan Torah, you give a list of examples, and say, yeah, listen, God is very powerful, how is He able to control the world? If He manipulates, if He changes nature, He's able to control the world. But can God control the world without manipulating nature? 
That's what Purim is. Purim is a level that is a lot higher than all the other levels. Because all the other levels, God manipulated the nature in order to show that He has the power over it. Purim, God says, I don't need to manipulate anything. I could use nature to manipulate the own, you know, my, my own will. And that's what happened on Purim. Says, you know, say, you know, says the writer, it goes and explains like this, and it says that when you look at all the other, you know, when you look at all the other holidays, when you look at all the other, you know, stories in Tanakh, that's something that God had to manipulate nature. So that level of, of like, you know, like awesomeness is over here. But Purim, which is God had to, didn't have to manipulate anything of nature. God used nature. That's a lot higher level. That, because it's a higher level, that's going to stay also in the time of Mashiach. Let's go one step further. Right, so it's not going to be a public type of, uh, uh, you know, which we, we have nowadays uh, in, a, in, a, in that aspect. And if you'll, it, you'll, 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 you'll have a little more clarity in it. That's a good question. What's going to happen to Mashiach with the schools? I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't know. That's a good question. Okay. You look at Pesach, for example, Exodus. No, 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 that I understand. I'm poor. It's, I thought you were going to say that uh, people uh, through the davening made this uh, you know, change of this. So I was actually thinking about creating a whole class just on that for Purim coming up. And I might do that. So if I do that, I'll, I'll speak about it. What? I did it already. It's it, when, when God changed the story in Purim, God changed it without having any outward miracles, meaning that it all changed within the people. It, it all looks like it's very natural. That's a higher level of showing God's manipulation, God's power and control over humanity, over the world, than God manipulating nature. Because that shows that God could change something even through the people, even through the nature, even but through the... still God did. Yeah. It's not that mm-hmm. we, like, and Ultimately, everything is from God. Everything is from God. Yes, did we do something towards it? Yes, we did Tshuva, we did, we did the Tshuva, we, we did, we did Tfilah, we did the fast, we did all those things, but ultimately everything is from God. Okay, so now, the Midrash... In Estelle, in the ninth chapter, it says, In the future, all the festivals will be annulled, but not the festival of Purim. And we're almost finished-ish. Um, I think I only finished one. Okay, whatever. Uh, the Midrash Mishlei, also the ninth chapter, says that the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, is also going to never be annulled. Kind of went in a double negative over there, but the... the, um, the the how the of Purim of uh, and Yom Kippur is always is going to stay also in the time of Mashiach. Says the Radvas. Says you know what? Says in the time of Mashiach, there's going to be so much joy, there's going to be so much happiness that all the days are going to be as if it's going to be a holiday. Because what's the holiday? It's the Chagim, the Yom Tovim. The Yom Tovim. We know that there's an obligation. The Rambam says you have to be happy. And how do you have to be happy? The Rambam says you have to have meat and wine in order to be have, to increase your happiness. But in the times of Mashiach, everybody's going to be happy. It's going to be such a high level of happiness. You're not going to have to work. You're not going to have to do almost anything. You're going to be able to serve God just like it's going to be holidays. So the level of happiness is going to be the same. It's going to be as if. As if the holidays were nullified, the holidays are no longer in, you know, as, as in effect. Now let's take this a little bit further. Purim. Why is Purim not gonna stay in there? If all the holidays are gonna be so, so powerful, cause we're gonna have so much happiness, just like we are, we have on holidays, we have the Simchata Chagim, just like on every single day, just like we have on holidays, why is Purim gonna be any different? Because Purim, we need to have an extra happiness in there, right? We have a mitzvah, we have to drink Adelo Yada. 
Not for today. Different class. We have to drink until you know, know the difference between Chris Mordechai and Blessed Hamad. We have an extra level of happiness that needs it. He says, ah, oh, for that, that you need Purim also to have in, in, you know, in the time of Mashiach. Happiness we're going to have. But the extra level of happiness, we still need Purim. What about Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is not a day of happiness. It's a day of atonement. It's a day of self-affliction. It's not going to be, you know, this is not going to be, you know, rampant in the time of the Mashiach. This is not going to be superseded by the joy in the time of Mashiach. Hence, we're going to have to keep Yom Kippur, and we're going to have to keep, you know, we have to keep, uh, you know, Purim. The Barbanel also gives an, you know, gives an interpretation that says that in the, you know, right now we 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 have a lot of our holidays. Zechel We're having it in merit of Yitzchak Mitzrayim, the miracle of Yitzchak Mitzrayim. But in the time of Mashiach, the miracles will be so great that it will be as if the miracles of previous will be nullified because the miracles of of the of the time of Shach is going to be so much greater that it's going to be as if it was it was nullified. So this is how we understand these uh, you know these concepts. Now, now that we said the idea that Torah is never going to be changed, the Torah is going to be exactly the same. How do we deal with the rab- the rabbis? Oh, the rabbis! Everyone always has problems with the rabbis. The rabbis add the Torah. The rabbis add laws in Torah. So it's a good thing that we spoke very, very intently on this, uh, 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 you know, in, in our divinity series. So we always have to do a brief recap. Now, when the Torah, when when you have these rabbinical laws, it says if you telling me that the Torah is never going to be changed, if you're telling me the Torah cannot be added, it cannot be removed, how do the rabbis add the laws? So it says in Devarim. Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, you're not allowed to add, you're not allowed to remove from any of the Torah laws. So when is this obligation? When is, it, when is this problematic? When this is a problematic is if you go and if you add a law to the Torah and you say, this is what the Torah says. Meaning, let's use an example. The example that we gave last time we spoke about this is the Gemara, the Pasuk in Exodus, in Shemot, chapter 23, verse 19. It says, You're not allowed to go and you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to cook a kid in its mother's goat. You're not allowed to cook a kid's mother's goat. Meaning... Mother's milk. Thank you. I'm translating wrong. A kid as a baby goat. Thank you. In a mother's, uh, which is the the mommy, you know, milk. You know how to cook meat and milk together. So you see that that interpretation says, what about poultry? What about the, you know, what about fowl? You know, let's say, can you cook chicken in with uh, with milk? The Torah just says it's just referring to meat. So talking about it's talking about a goat. What about anything else? What about other ideas? So, oh, says the, says the rabbi, he says, no, you can't even do that. That, by the way, it's a rabbinical prohibition. Biblically, you're allowed to do that. Rabbinically, they saw that people were confusing between poultry and between meat. Says, ah, because you're confusing, let's make it a flat statement. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to do any of it. So that is allowed. To say that, listen, biblically, this is forbidden. Rabbinically, this is forbidden. But if the rabbis come and say, he say, hey, 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 you know what the Torah means over here? It means also, it means not only that it means by, by meat, by, by an animal, it also means by meat, by a poultry as well. It says, ah, that's what the Torah means. That's your changing the Torah. You're adding interpretation to the Torah. The book or whatever, but what? The amount of time that's, uh, that's already more custom also as well. That's already, uh, you know, you know, yeah. But, the, the, you know, no, so it's more, it's more, you know, it's more custom to, uh, it's more a, a custom. The concept is, is how long is the food gonna stay that it's not gonna stay, you know, it's not gonna mix together. Really referring to what it stucks in your, in your mouth, and, you know, there's different concepts on it. So now, when we look at these things, the rabbis, first of all, needed to have this power. How do we know the rabbis needed to have this power? The, if you think about it, God gave the, the, the Torah. God gave the Torah to the Jewish people. Now the Torah, there's many other concepts that come to time. What about electricity? Electricity didn't happen in the time of Torah. So what happens then? 
Oh, what, you know, do we have to wait? Do we have to say? Do we, are we allowed to? Are we not allowed to? The God gave the, the, the ability to, for the rabbin and for the rabbis to go and say, hey, listen, you decide. And where do we see this? We see this in Dvarim, chapter 17, verse 9 through verse 11. It says over there straight out that you have to listen to the, to the rabbis, to the judges. And if the rabbis tell you something, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to divert from them. You know, you're not allowed to divert from them, not, neither right or left. You're not allowed to divert from them even a little bit. You have to follow exactly what they say. What is the source that the rabbis can add these rabbinic laws? And again, they could add rabbinic laws. They cannot add biblical laws. The, the Gemara Mod Katan, page 5a, goes and says, there's two sources. One in Leviticus, in Vayikah, chapter 15, verse 31. It says, You have to separate the Jewish nation from their, from their impurities. And there's also another, uh, another pasuk in Leviticus, in Vayikah, chapter 18, verse 30. It says, You have to guard, you have to, you have to observe my charge. It means you have to guard my charge. It means you have to make that extra precaution to make sure that you don't fall into it. So we hear from here we see that the rabbis not only have the ability to do it, they also have the obligation that if the Jewish nation is going to fall off and the Jewish nation is going to have need of precaution, we have to add it. Now we have to understand, why was it added by the rabbis? It was added by the rabbis only because they needed to add it. Beforehand, there were people who were on such a high level, they didn't need it. But once the generation fell and fell and fell and fell, they needed to add it. The example that we gave in the previous classes was uh, um, a formula from a mother's milk. Now, when someone created formula, that's not a like, oh, awesome, that's better than mother's milk. No, there's not, it's not better than mother's milk. It's a substitute to mother's milk. It, the, a baby gains so much more nutrients and emotional and physical, everything from a mother's milk more than formula. But, but when, when the people saw that there was a deficiency in it, they needed to create formula, so they created formula. But it's not because it's, a ben, it's more beneficial than the mother's milk. The mother's milk is more beneficial. But now that there was a deficiency, people weren't able to do it, people were going to work, people, whatever it was, their excuses, they didn't have the ability to feed from the, from the mother, now the babies had to create, now the people had to create for the babies a formula. So we have to understand the concept of the rabbinical laws is not something that originally was intended, it wasn't originally needed because people were on such a high level that they didn't need it. But now that they fell to the level, now they need it, now they have, now, and now they have it. Understood? Okay, question. Uh, not so. Just the one. Because they didn't need it in the beginning. But just because they didn't need it, like, not, like... It's a higher level if you don't need it. It's a lower level if you do need it. Like, it, it's, it's, the, the concept is, is that there's going to come a time that people are going to need it. You think about it, anything, compulsory education, there's many things that you didn't need. But now that you need it, okay, here it is. It's not like they could have invented formula before they needed it, but they, there wasn't a need for it. If there wasn't a need for it, there's no point of, of, of bringing it out. So not only Hashem knew. Not only machlokas between people that are ignorant and people that are know what they're talking about, but the the rabbis when they created this, it was already in the Torah that they had the ability to do it. They, not, I'm sorry, not the ability; they had the obligation to do it. And those are verses that I just quoted. It was an obligation. God knew this, and that's why He put it in the Torah. So there's going to come a time that you're going to need to implement these things. And hence, these are the verses that you have to follow. These are the these are the rules you have to you have to go by. Any other questions? Whoever said, yeah. Where did the tent come in from? What? Where did the tent come from? Which tent commandment? I didn't get up to it yet. 
<laughs> I thought I would. Uh, <laughs> any other questions? <laughs> Ju- we just got through nine today, not ten. Okay. All right. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.